John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. have accessed entry 447.jb1616, certificate number 41907, Faces of Death. Is this your spooky Halloween show? Halloween? You say Halloween. Halloween. All good-hearted people say Halloween with the... Halloween. With the uh, short A. We here say Halloween in the Northwest. I don't know where you're from. Korea or something. You think it's a regionalism? I think so. Halloween. Do you do you, do you uh, hollow things instead of hallow them? I mean, I guess you hollow out the pumpkin. I do hollow is, out the is pumpkin. Is that why it's called Halloween? <laughs> There's very, there are very few things in the world I hallow. What, what would That's you a say? problem with you that you don't hallow you don't hallow enough things. I don't hallow any weens. <laughs> you do you hallow the band ween? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. I don't ween the band hallow. <laughs> hallow does sound like it might be some kind of a hallow. speed metal band, right? Yeah, or hallow. Or uh, hallow might be like like a couple of brothers from the south that have a like gothic <laughs> right. rock band. Or if it's just H A L L O, it could be like some cheeky British lads. Hello, it could be a Britpop band. How do you feel about horror movies? You know, you're, you have a pretty exhaustive uh, appreciation of, of cinema. Does that include horror movies? Do you make a distinction between good horror and bad? Uh, I do. I like horror movies, not so much because I like being scared. I don't find that super pleasurable. But um, so I'm not like, uh, yeah, slasher movies like the... The, the, the gorier and cheesier, the better. But I do like what uh, uh, horror films have kind of become lately, which is really just some mainstream way to show people art movies. Like if you if you tell people that The Babadook or Midsummer or whatever is a horror movie, people will go see kind of bizarre art cinema and like legitimate art might happen on the screen in a in a Hollywood studio movie. Are there jump scares in the Babadook? Uh, there are, yeah. but it, but I think that those kind of movies often will privilege some creeping sense of unease, uh, un- right. unearthly sound design. Sure, more than a lot of ASMR. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what I like. Get out. <laughs> oh, it's so soothing. Say Get that again. Out. Oh, I love that. I wish I had a creepy haunted house that gave me ASMR messages. Duh. Uh, well, I don't know about you. Do you like slasher movies? I don't. Because I don't. you don't like to be scared and jump in a movie. I don't like to be scared. I don't like to be grossed out. I don't like to be freaked out. Now, I will. I love a psychological thriller and even one that's like scary. But I don't want... I already have kind of a sensitivity to being spooked. Spooked by the implication that there's a supernatural world that may be can can walk through a portal and come tap me on the shoulder in the middle of the night while I'm working on something. Honestly, I think being incredibly rationalistic is really what makes me able to watch horror. Yeah. Because, you know, when I watch a movie, I never think, this is very upsetting. I always think, this violence is not real and therefore does not trouble me. Uh, and when the movie's over, I don't feel like there could be ghosts in my house as I walk back upstairs. I feel like, oh good, I've left the spooky movie and now I can walk up my normal stairs where normal things happen. I think of the two of us, I'm definitely more 
uh, susceptible to the suggestion of, of uh, you know, if, if you were to ring a little bell with your toe under the table right now and tell me that it was a, a, what if a I started, dead relative. What if I just started to sing a Victorian nursery rhyme in a sing-song voice without moving my lips and you, <laughs> in the garden we play with Jack. And I could do it without moving my lips. You would be like, what, what is going on here? You moved your whole mouth, in fact. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's not that, but yeah, I am, I have a predisposition, right? A, a emotional or, or, uh, or, um, I, I, and I, and I can't, I can't explain it relative to my otherwise rational, uh, mind or the way that I, that I think of the way the world and the, and the universe is ordered. I don't believe that specters roam the earth and I, earth, and I don't believe there's a government under the North Pole, and I don't think the that, North Pole, uh, the North Pole, and I don't think that uh, that you know the undead are are you know trying to solve problems on Earth before they can go to their eternal rest. Yet I will get you believe, spooked. You believe in the Loch Ness monster and alien abduction. And and I, and I believe in Judeo Christian religion and big feats. Yeah, yeah you, that's right. We, we, we both have our little carve outs. We do. We each have a vulnerability. <laughs> uh, but scary movies, you know, being being startled, I don't like it, and I don't don't like gore at all. I I uh, I recoil. You know, I I'll like hide my eyes. My wife will literally hide her eyes, and she's very good at telling when something is gory yeah. is about to happen. And I I'm the one in charge of being like it's still going, it's yeah. still going. Okay, they're done. Yeah, I don't. I just don't like it. Don't prefer it. And uh, and then yeah, the the idea that because over the years I've spent a lot of time alone, outside at night in haystacks. Kind of. I mean, I've walked through mist covered graveyards in New England, uh, where I where I went in thinking it was a quick shortcut to the next town, and then realized that I was lost in a Vermont graveyard and the fog had closed in and. It was one o'clock in the morning, and you know, I'm often in a Great situation. Graveyards are bad shortcuts. They usually only have one gate. <laughs> I know to keep people well, like us from hanging out. The there. old ones, you know, you can like hop the little hop fence. Hop the fence, yeah. But uh, but for whatever reason, I found myself over the years, many many times, going, "What were you thinking? Why are you here right now? Like this is like the trees are actually creaking in a terrifying way, and you are just you thought this was a good idea, like because I slept outside a lot when in my in my traveling years. But and you I never saw, scared. you never saw any actual haunts or will o' the wisps or revenants. No, w- but will, I wills o' the wisp. I had a, I had a haunting experience. Uh, and it was again in Vermont, the, the, the U S state most full of ghosts, the most haunted state. But I, I spent the night in a, in a, uh, pre-revolutionary war house in Vermont in one of the one of the bedrooms in the old house, right there, there were. There, not, you, do you want the haunted second? You want haunted or not haunted, sir? That was the thing. They put me in the old house. They thought I would appreciate it. I was. I did appreciate it. And as soon as I turned out the light, I felt a, an incredibly evil presence in the room with me, unmistakable. And I turned on the light and I sat there, you know, kind of hyperventilating, and calmed myself down and was like, "All right, okay." all in my head let's just go to sleep now and i turned the light off and immediately just felt this terrible terrible thing turned the light on and stayed up all night until the sun came up at which point i felt you know i relaxed and caught a little bit of sleep and when i went down to breakfast i said you know they said how'd you sleep i said not very well i felt an unusual presence in the room that kept me up you know i'm not a i'm not uh, above Expressing my vulnerabilities at, at, at the breakfast table. Were they like, oh, that's just saucy Nick. That's where he killed the children. No, they all delightedly said, oh, you felt him. Uh. And I was like, you bastards. Why didn't you put me in the new wing? Where, the, no, where nobody feels anybody. Yeah, the wing that was built in 1840 or whatever, where no nobody died and was buried under the under the cabin. So I was furious, but also intrigued that they that the owners of the house had a guest room in their home that they knew to be inhabited by a by a dark specter and that delights them it it well i guess it's a it's a prank that they pulled on me vermont should take off of the license plates the guy skiing on maple syrup or whatever it is yeah and just Veritas Montes. and just put a picture of a do they really show a girl's Veritas Montes? <laughs> 
and they should just put a, like a, a spooky ghost on the license plate, uh, like a headless horseman. America's haunted playground. If there's Vermont. one place you're gonna, you feel like you're gonna see a headless horseman, it's Vermont. And you don't. You right across the border in New Hampshire, all you see are billboards for Taco Bell. But in Vermont, headless horsemen everywhere. This is the second time we've discussed the Vermont New Hampshire border. Yeah. Well, I'll last keep time, last time it. it was about lotteries. And this time it's just about how you're going to get possessed by Satan. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, but the thing about movies is that I can immediately be like, you know, uh, there's a distancing effect. The thing that happens on the screen, I'm always thinking this is artifice, right? This didn't happen. And so horror movies do not trouble my soul. So are you intrigued at all by YouTube videos of ISIS executions? No, see, that's the opposite thing to me. Like to me, that actually is. And I I even don't want to watch like surgeries or whatever, because there there's no distancing effect. There's no artifice. Those are actual fluids squirting. And it's a thing of our time where at least once a week, I will see on the internet some link where it's like, okay, you should watch this, but actually the guy died or, um, yeah, warning. This construction worker that goes through the windshield didn't make it. Like, people just pass these around. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they're very popular. I, um, I can't watch them. How do you feel about videos where people are popping pimples? <laughs> I don't understand why it's a thing. <laughs> it's a real thing. Like, to me, that is the horror movie yeah. right there, you know? Uh, just people getting their cysts lanced. Like, somebody getting, like, their head knocked off and hereditary would not bother me. But, like, if they'd replaced that scene with somebody popping their pimples, yeah. I would have been in the lobby so I know fast. at least two people who have confessed to me that when they get home from a hard day's work, they just put on YouTube videos of dermatologists uh, ah. working on people's skin blemishes. Let me just take off my bra and watch just like, pimple popping. Oh, so relaxing. Can they express what the appeal is? Because I've never asked anyone. It's just the gratification. The gratification that you get, I guess, when you pop your own pimple. But, but there is there's it's very, transference. There's very little of that. It's just I don't know. I mean, I get why you do it. It's a but it's it's a little bit painful, and you know it's bad for your skin. Yeah, but it's it's uh, that might even be a myth. I don't know. I've been uh, I don't I don't have huge pock marks, but. And I've popped my share of pimples. Yeah, me too. But I think it's just that, uh, yeah, it's the release. It's the the literal release of tension. It's just the tension is, is. Uh, I'll watch uh, somebody cracking their knuckles, knuckles. Then, yeah, like I want a fluid free release. Yeah, like how come there's just not a video of? Uh, Can like, I bet there is? So somebody stretching in the morning. Ah, like one arm is out to the side, the other's kind of crooked. Their elbows crooked back towards their neck. I'd watch those videos. That there, seems cathartic. There are tons. I'm sure there are those, but there are tons of videos now on the internet, almost an unlimited number, where you can watch real people die in real awful situations. People, not just people jumping off of buildings, but people electrocuted and cut in half and eaten. What do you think of these? Will you click on these links? It's the same. I'm the same way that that uh, uh, right because often there something amazing will happen. Yeah, a bus will go over a freeway divider or something. Incredible things, and I l- absolutely love the videos where a car rolls 15 times and stops two inches from a from a kid pushing a baby stroller, mm-hmm. and you're like, "Wow, amazing! Life is amazing." But the ones where the car hits the kid. I have, I do not want to see it. I, I, and, and so what, usually when I watch a video like that, I keep the cursor poised over the close X. And as soon as the, as soon as death is apparent, like if someone jumps off a building, I will close the, the screen before they hit the ground. You could just not watch the video. Do you like to watch him jump off the edge, but not hit? (laughs) No. And even watching him jump off the edge kind of traumatizes me a little bit, but like there, there are these videos the number of people, it seems like, who get electrocuted in India by riding on the top of a train and reaching up and touching a power line or something, and then they're just they're shrouded in a ectoplasm or a protoplasm of of electrical glow and energy as they are transformed into a cooked person. Yeah. I've seen enough of those just by accident. Uh, because it's always fascinating to watch a video of people riding on top of a train to me. I feel like it's worth the trade off. As someone who's ridden on top of a train, I feel like that just there there's my that's my idea of heaven. Just sitting on top of a train. That that is your heaven. Yeah. I was thinking that uh you know, I feel like I'm very proud of myself. I'm patting myself on the back that I don't watch these videos, that I'm a little more high minded. 
But honestly, it does no harm for anyone to watch these videos. I don't know. Well, the person's already dead is what I'm saying. Oh, I see. It, it doesn't it, kill another It has person. no effect on the... And, and that's kind of how I feel. If I don't click on this, I'm preventing violence. Of course, I'm not. I'm just shielding myself from it. So maybe it's not something that I should feel good about, that I'm inured to to death and violence and cruelty. You We've know? talked a lot on this show, and I think we'll always... We'll continue to, and it's it will always be a, a, a theme, the... Um, the continuing debate in our own culture and time about whether or not uh, depictions of violence beget violence, beget violence, or um, you know normalizes or desensitizes us to violence. Uh, and I, uh, depending on what media you're critiquing and who's doing the critiquing, it can be a real flashpoint of of debate in our time. I don't, I don't like the emotional effect that it has on me. Uh, so there, there is one. I'm kind of curious. Like, you, well, for instance, like any video where a child is injured, I can't. Oh, yeah. I don't even want to watch the setup. Once you're a parent, but I have watched, kind of, gleefully, watched um, videos where uh, tanks in wartime cook off. It's described as cooking off, which is a tank will be out on a battlefield and it will get hit with a little missile or somebody will throw a grenade in it. And all the munitions within the tank will ignite and start to burn. And the tank, of course, is a strong device. And so things can burn and explode inside of a tank, and it takes a while for the tank itself to blow up. And you know that there are four or five people inside the tank while this is happening. Cooking away. Nobody ever gets out. No one hardly ever gets out. But it's a incredible fireworks display and it's sort of the part of it is the the film is usually taken from the standpoint of whatever rebel is shooting the rocket at the tank and so the rebels themselves are rejoicing at having destroyed a tank and there's a little bit of a david and goliath thing when you watch a tank cook off so i've watched those in proliferation and i don't i i know there are men in the tank i feel bad for them but someone who's just walking down the street and gets hit by, hit by a truck or chopped in half by something. I, I don't want to, I don't want to feel pain for them and their families. Like I actually, I will enjoy, I guess my equivalent of the tank cook-off video is uh, a daredevil, you know, some kind of drunk frat kid or something, tries something stupid and sure enough. Dies or is hurt. Like, yeah, I would say, you know, just gets hitting the nuts really hard or something, you know? Like, oh, you like skateboard videos where they where they fall on the railing? Yeah, exactly. I don't like those. Uh, was that a little too, a little <laughs> just, too visceral? A little too. Well, it just seems like it's 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 okay for me to laugh at this. A, this is this person's own fault, and B, there was probably no lasting harm. If this guy can never have kids, honestly, that's probably good for the species. Right, but the, 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 seeing some little teenage kid or 25-year-old guy jump up on a skateboard and then hit the pavement and you just know that this just you've hit the pavement you know how that feels he didn't have to do that that's true all right, all right. he didn't have to do some just, dumb just come up prank with a video on you we're know? gonna get a lot of letters from futurelings that are that are made out of skateboards <laughs> future skate once skateboarding becomes the uh like the official sport of the earth states right or skateboards themselves become sentient <laughs> because so much blood and sweat have spilled on them that they that they actually become a, a life form. The there. longboards are the ruling class, of course. But there was a time not very long ago, this may be hard for futurelings to imagine, when you could not just, uh, uh, you could not consume depictions of death, violent death or, or grotesque, gruesome death, or even see dead people. And I don't mean in a sixth sense kind of way, but even see a dead body uh, that, that was not um, – we just didn't have access to that as American people. It's recent enough that it seems odd to me that we're living in the opposite era now where my son probably watches videos of actual people actually dying. Did like, you – That seems like the weird time to me. 
When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free, plus $20 off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. That's butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. Have you ever seen a dead body? I think we've maybe talked about this. Well, I think we did. Only, we only at a viewing, I think. And a, and a funeral. Yeah, and I guess, yeah. And and one case where I actually saw, as I was heading down the freeway, saw a truck tip over coming the other way. Yeah, we, we've talked yeah. about it. But I've, uh, I think that that is, that is a particularly American phenomenon. I think in a lot of countries of the world, you wouldn't have been able to escape seeing a dead body. Just because, Certainly for most of history. Yeah, just because many generations live in a house. Grandma dies under under the roof, but other, you know, and there isn't this hermetically sealed death process that we have here, where if someone does die, you close the door, and only people, the only people allowed in are right. I need to call right. some other strangers whose job is to make sure I have no exposure to this process. They take the person out under a sheet, and it goes from the moment it ent- the body enters the ambulance, no one sees it again. It disappears into uh, into bo- a succession of boxes, and then either into a furnace or into the ground. It's because flush toilets worked so well. I think hmm. we just loved the idea that we didn't have to deal with anything with anything awful. Just you know, flush the, the dookie the, of grandma the, right away. Yeah, we want everything in our life to be as convenient as a flush toilet. Yeah, like I want to press a button or pick up a phone call or send a text, and the problem goes away, and it presumably troubles others, but not me. But we do live in a world w- which has been sanitized. Mm-hmm. And uh, there may be a an innate desire to to witness death. To uh, when I was saying it's not a, it. it may not be a virtue that I avoid that stuff is because it's what I'm probably just doing is avoiding fears of my own death. Right. You know, I don't want to consider the topic, so I'm not being a good person by not clicking on these videos. I'm I'm avoiding a, a troublesome area. Human beings are both very resilient to injury and also incredibly vulnerable and watching other people die from, especially in mundane circumstances or killed by somebody that's just another klutz. Um, I've never watched an ISIS video of someone getting their head chopped off or, uh, or like a cartel video. Cause I have no interest in it, but the idea that you would get your head chopped off just by some other dingling, not even like a God or, or a master, but just some guy that it, that managed to get your hands tied before you got his hands tied. And just for the image. That's insulting This to will me. do nothing except produce pixels of this happening, and that's yeah. the only reason why this dingling is killing me. Yeah, that's infuriating. And I think if I were kneeling there before the sword, I would be so mad. Just really mad. Not even scared. Just infuriated. Come on. But uh, the rise of horror movies didn't... I mean, the early days of film don't have a lot of there's not a lot of horror in them we started to see you know there are vampire movies and and monster movies but not a ton of gore from contemporary accounts though i feel like people were as disturbed by that stuff as we are today by a very gory slasher movie by monsters yeah just the fact that boris karloff had very disturbing makeup like Ladies would hide their eyes because he had sunken cheekbones. That was a scary. They had never seen any scary imagery. So right. the, the desensitization thing is probably real to a degree. And I, you know, my daughter still hides her eyes if somebody looks, or until a year ago, until if somebody looked too Dracula, or if somebody even was like, bah. Is there a, such a thing as too Dracula? Well, not anymore. Not to. Too, not, too, I'm <laughs> too, a goth. Too, too Dracula, too... To me, there's no such thing as too Dracula. The, no. the world is full of people who are not Dracula enough. Believe me. I know. You understand. Well, yeah. I mean, I've, uh, I aspire to 
Romulanness. <laughs> um, but it was in the you know it was in the sixties and seventies when we started to get kind of shock movies um, and shock movies and and nature documentaries. They all kind of came up with a, with a, a more ease, more affordability in making films. You didn't need a you know a giant Cinerama camera. Uh, no, Night of the Living Dead cost Romero, I don't know, $20,000 or something. Right, you know? right. Uh, the accessibility of that stuff uh, allowed people to explore those those ideas, and it became uh, – they were those films were surprisingly successful. People were interested in, um, in seeing – in seeing naturalistic depictions of death and dismemberment. And also interested, very interested in seeing real documentary footage of lions killing wildebeests and um, shark attacks and and so forth. It oh, all. I wonder if that was controversial, or if or if you know a, a society more in touch with the actual food cycle of where their food come comes from is not troubled when a lion eats a zebra. I think it I think the the controversy around those early nature documentaries has a lot to do with the fact that many of them also included the human natives of the of the region as curiosities like a lion ate a zebra and then look at this guy with the headdress and the native dance there's, yeah there's a lot of racially insensitive and a lot of it posed like Nanuka the north was you know that guy was told to do all his Inuit shenanigans. Right. There uh, there was a famous movie called Mondo Con- uh, Mondo Kane, I guess. I have pondered making Mondo Kane an omnibus entry. Have you? Yeah. But maybe maybe at this point we've covered it. Well, Mondo Kane is is, you know, a, 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 from the early 60s and it's kind of a, well, why don't you describe it? You've pondered it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I have a take on Mondo Kane. I mean, uh, it's an Italian film that is... It means of, what? World of Dogs, yeah, right? Yeah, right. World of Dogs, which is kind of an Italian insult along the line of like... It's a dog's pig life. Pig God. Kind of a yeah. thing. Um, but it's like a forerunner to Koyana Squatsi, uh, which is that that it, it makes an editorial point by just showing... Uh, human kind of uh, activities around the world. Yeah, it's kind of a travelogue, right? Yeah. You see, you see weird behavior in you know a native village in New Guinea, but then now we're at a restaurant in Tokyo. And- yeah, right. It's uh, things superimposed. You know, somewhere in Guinea, there uh, they've taken the most beautiful girl in the village, and they've actually locked her in a cage to feed her until she gets fat enough to give as a gift to the tribal leader. And then we go immediately to, uh, like a uh, a fat farm in in Southern California, where you know women who are slightly overweight are working there, uh, working super hard at a at one of those. Remember those old uh, belt driven fat jigglers? Oh yeah, I, were, I, I saw one at an antique store in Ballard the other day. Supposed to firm you up somehow. <laughs> yeah. uh, so the, it was the juxtaposition of these images that was meant to to communicate a kind of um that human foibles are ridiculous and that uh that the degree to which indust post-industrial quote-unquote first world culture seeks to distinguish itself from so so-called third world culture in fact we're all driven by sort of similar superstitions and and uh, and arcane behavior. Yeah, it's not an exploitation movie. I mean, nope. it, it functions on some of the same levels, but like it, it was designed and received as an art movie, and even nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, the the song in it was nominated for best song, which I always think is funny. The Mondo Kane came within a whisker of winning an Oscar. And I think I think now contemporary view, viewers would look at it and see it as exploitative, and not see it as it was intended, which is a, a humorous indictment of all human endeavor. Uh, because there, you know, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of candid footage of of people, tribal people doing um, what uh, d- 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 performing their um, you know traditional right, but it's played somewhat for laughs in contrast to something that's happening in a Tokyo restaurant. It's just- it started a whole. It started a whole genre of you know what they now call mondo movies, which was at the time these very popular documentaries that would use real footage 
of shocking, you know, violent, bizarre things. Kind of, but kind of on a Ripley's Believe It or Not level. Right. Like back then, you could be like, "Oh, look what the look what the less enlightened people of such and such a land are doing." And uh, I'm I'm so glad I got this fascinating glimpse into their into their ways. And I feel like even in the United States, certainly until recently, or maybe even now, if you live in a rural environment, if you're a, if you are living on a farm, you're much more accustomed to seeing death than you are if you live in a city. You right? probably got six headless chickens sure, on your farm, chopping chicken heads off right and left. And if you've ever had a, you know, if you raised a cow as part of your four F group, and then Dad <laughs> insisted that it be butchered, you've you've eaten. <laughs> Chops from a cow you yeah, named. That's right. And that's just how it is. This is these are daisy burgers. But uh you might not be surprised to learn that this kind of Mondo Kane uh film was very popular in Japan. Um there was a a whole genre of of films there that that sort of I mean it were contemporaneous with the development of hentai and manga that often depicted violence and sort of unnatural, supernatural, fantastical acts of depravity, often tied to a sex act. I mean, you know, octopus porn and other kind of um, the sexual angle is new, right? That's not foregrounded in the in the Italian works, is it? It's not, but 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 it appealed to some, you know, it appealed to the nation, the, the film going audiences in Japan. That also, I think that you know, they were producing Godzilla movies. There was a delight in being scared and in being grossed out mm-hmm. in in Japan that made these movies um, get a foothold there, and it spawned a homegrown industry of of nature documentaries and other films that um that depicted sort of racy or uh startling acts incidences in a in an area where pornography was hard to come by you know people would also go to see some nominally arty swedish movie just cuz they knew there were they were, gonna, there were briefly boobs at yeah. the at the thirty eight minute mark or whatever they were going to catch a catch a nip slip, as we say. So anything that's taboo will will get people into in the dark to look at it, I guess. Well, so fast forward to the to the late seventies. Um, there was a company called MPI Media that was uh, in the United States that was producing nature documentaries, and they were approached by a Japanese film company. Uh, called Toho Kushinsha. And is this the same Toho company that does like the Godzilla movies and stuff? Uh, no, but it is the production company that uh, that co-produced Lost in Translation, another oh. great monster movie. <laughs> but Bill Murray's the monster. Bill Murray is the monster. So it's, it's a big, legitimate Japanese film studio that even does international co-productions. Right. Um, and they approached uh, they approached MPI Media in the United States to see if they could uh, get some you know nature documentaries produced here. This kind of like a, you know Mondo Kane style film where different true incidences or d- different true incidents were spliced together to make a kind of uh, feature length thing where you see a bunch of lions eat a bunch of wildebeests. It's not a movie in any way. It's it's there's the, there's little of an arc. Right? Yeah, there's no plot. Uh there but there is, you know, dramatic music. It is it is uh it's it's a film rather than just a uh, a compilation. Yeah. Um and um the young son of the owners of MPI Media who still um still insists even to this day uh, being referred to uh, by his by his nom de guerre, his nom de cinéma, uh, which is Conan la Silaire. Whoa, Conan la Silaire is uh, is a name that he sort of thought was French, and uh, he thought it meant that he was Conan the destroyer of worlds. 
<laughs> it's literally a translation of Conan the Destroyer into French. <laughs> uh, or Conan the Killer. I see. Uh, but but it isn't. Uh, it's he, he got the translation wrong. It's sort of a meaningless, means nothing. But, but, he, uh, but he sticks by it. Uh, he had seen Mondo Kane and enjoyed it. And he'd seen nature documentaries where people were, or where animals were getting killed. And he kind of had this flash of inspiration. What if we put together a film where we splice together accident footage, news pick news uh, accounts of people getting, you know, stuff that was too racy for the evening news. He knew that there, that people had been filmed dying. And he, he suggested to, uh, the Toho Kushinsa people, what if we made a movie of this stuff? The the death and stuff. He And he would have no firsthand... He's just supposing that uh, this, he, this stuff is out there, but the nightly news won't show it. Yeah, he'd seen... He'd seen a couple of uh, of clips of do you think people. There was, do you think there was some underground market for this kind of thing at the time or did that did that does that get created here you know snuff films had existed for a long time are they real i always i guess i just always thought snuff films were like an urban legend uh snuff films are mostly fake um there are you know there there surely are snuff films that that ended up having a real death in them, but for the most part, they are, you know, they were a similar sort of 1970s phenomenon um, where someone, you know, was killed as a, you know, within the film, in the making of the film. The idea here was to, was to, to get real footage. And so the, the filmmakers, you know, these young guys, they knew somebody that worked in a morgue. They went, and got permission to film in the morgue and filmed an autopsy. And they found some, you know, they found various footage of a car accident here. There's a, there's a famous plane crash and the aftermath of the plane crash. That was real footage that they, that they managed to piece together, but it wasn't enough to make a, uh, to make a feature film. And so they contacted some special effects artists in, California and this was the this was the dawn of the really great era of special effects and a lot of these young special effects artists went on to become the famous special effects artists in Hollywood like weird makeup stuff and- yeah and they created in some some situations they created out of whole cloth um scenes that were you know that purported to depict a cult orgy the, the most famous one being um, a group of diners bashes a monkey on the head and they eat his brains. Um, there are alligator attacks and there's an electric chair sequence. These are all com- were just completely staged as special effects like fakes. I've never seen the movie. I wonder how convincing they are. It seems like this kind of – maybe I just have a good eye for it online, but you can tell – which stuff that goes viral today is not actually real because it's hard to hoax something in a way that looks real. Well, there were other things in Faces of Death, and that's what the film ended up being called. Um, there were other scenes where they had some footage. They had a footage of a woman jumping off of a building and falling. But then they uh, they filmed their own fake uh, gore sequence where the film crew runs up to her and finds her, you know, laying dead on the ground. And so they splice the two together in a way that, you you know, it's in it's unmistakable that she did jump off the building and fall. And so you're you're predisposed to believe that that the scene where you see a dead body dressed in the same clothes is part of the same footage. Hmm. And they did a good job of, you know, or relatively good job given their low budget of uh, of making it intercutting real footage, uh, making, making the lighting the same certain, you know, film grain so that it did appear to be, uh, that it did appear to be real. Now to your point, it is totally fake looking, but in a world where people hadn't seen that much actual death, 
there wasn't as much to compare it to. Well, today, fake documentary is a whole genre. Right. You know, we're primed to be able to see the difference between, uh, you know, a D.A. Pennemaker movie and Parks and Rec. You right. know, we've all seen hundreds of fake documentaries and hundreds of real documentaries. Back then, this Spinal Tap had not really invented the fake documentary. Right. And this was, uh, this it was all presented. So there was a, you know, it was, it was presented as the, um, the secret film library of a, of a purient doctor by the name uh, of Dr. Francis Gross. So it's as if there's some Vatican library right. of censored stuff. And he shows up at the beginning of the film and he says, welcome to my, my, uh, you know, my film of all the, the death movies that I've collected over the years. And this is just some actor playing the game. Yeah. It's sort of, it's sort of like, um, what's the, what's the film series where the ghoul introduces uh, like the different Crypt Keeper. Crypt Keeper. Does, right. do, does he do puns? He was <laughs> like, it's not summer anymore. Now it's fall. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start that's unlimited access to thousands of lessons exercises and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks just go to musician.com slash start that's y-o-u-s-i-c-i-a-n.com slash start i have to be honest i've never seen faces of death and uh faces of death was enormously popular when i was in high school what what, yeah. ha- what happened was the the japanese film company took Faces of Death, took it back to Japan, and it was a huge hit. It played in mainstream movie theaters. Um, audiences filled it. Uh, the, some of these like gore movies were bigger than Jaws. Uh, Faces of Death came after Jaws, but there was a series of movies in, in Japan called the Guinea Pig movies, um, like Guinea Pig Devil's Experiment and Guinea Pig Flower of Flesh and Blood. Also, also faked? Guinea Pig Devil Woman Doctor. Also fake, um, but very realistic. And uh, the idea, you know, the idea of the first guinea pig movie was let's depict a woman being tortured and see what her and it, and the movie purports to be a. Uh, it's like a clinical video. A clinical video. How much pain can one person take? I don't. I don't know. I don't. It's not. It, it just seems like it's, this stuff shouldn't even be legal. Well, the FBI agreed. I mean, the FBI spent a lot of time investigating this stuff to determine if there was if there was anything real about it. They it's, say in Faces of Death that about 30% of the movie is real stuff. I mean, I assume no laws are being broken even back then just if you show just by depicting actual violence or death on screen. Like it's it's hard to say what the statute would be there. I mean, if you're if you're killing somebody, if you're actually torturing the woman, that's one thing. But if this actually is found footage from war journalists or traffic journalists or whatever, uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard to see how you would prosecute that. Well, I mean, I think it was Ted Bundy who said, if you want to catch serial killers, just throw a a slasher film festival and take a picture of every single person that walks in because serial killers are going to love slasher movies. Huh. Um, so th- it's not, I mean, this was sort of, bu- I mean, Bundy famously like a liar too, but also I think this was his way of saying, we like, don't, it's, we live in a, you know, society did this. Well, not that. I think he was saying, if you are interested in killing people, if you go so far as to actually kill people, you're also very interested in watching movies of it and consuming media about it as well. Uh, not that the media produces it, hmm. but that it that it is part of a sympathetic, you know, kind of. Um, well, it, it would scratch an itch. What do we say now that these things are mass culture? You know that right. like every high school in America would love to go to a Saw movie. <laughs> they're all they're all serial killers now, I guess. But what happened with uh, what happened with 
Faces of Death is after it became popular, uh, you know, very popular theatrically in Japan. It wasn't much of a theatrical release here, although, you know, they they made it on a four hundred fifty thousand dollar budget and it, it made thirty five million at the box office. And I'm not so. This sure. is not just some underground thing getting like I when this was part of my schoolyard lore. And I always assumed it was some friend of a friend thing. I've heard this tape exists. It was like the ring. It was. But in the 80s, it, uh, the rise of the VCR and the ability to watch a movie like this in the privacy of your own home and not have to go get your picture taken by the FBI and not have to, <laughs> you know, but to have this be a, be a thing that you could get your, get your creepy friends around and be, like watch it. You could be Dr. Gross. Um, it, it was an explosion. And when I was in high school, whether or not you had seen Faces of Death was, you know, uh, was basically a question of whether or not you really understood whether or not you had taken the red pill or the blue pill. Right. And I didn't want to see it. I was at a party and watched about half of it um, one time. And honestly, the the parts of Faces of Death that make the biggest impact, the parts that people walk away um believing in are all the fake ones the alligator attack the monkey brain scene like is it just because those are the most memorable they're absolutely the most memorable because the real death stuff is pretty mundane you know like the plane crash is kind of startling and uh but an autopsy that's not one where you're you're gonna go like can you believe it it was a real dead person on a my seventh grade teacher showed us autopsy pictures in in whatever you know biology like we that's not unusual well one of the things that actually spread uh, spread the reputation of Faces of Death is that in 1985, uh, a, a high school teacher named Mr. Schwartz kept his students after class and put in Faces of Death and wanted them to watch it for whatever reason. He, he believed it was necessary in their education. And two girls in the class, Sherry, for, uh, their names were Diane Feese and Sherry Forget. <laughs> or forge it forge forge is this like conan lescalier or whatever but uh but mr schwartz insisted everybody watch faces of death and when it got to the monkey brain scene uh these two girls were like i don't want to watch this anymore and he uh, according to them physically pushed them down in their chair and said you will watch faces of death this is important mr schwartz sounds like a real it sounds like there might be a lot going on there. Yeah, for, right. For, maybe he just loves to watch uncomfortable little girls watch yeah, this who, kind of stuff. Who knows? But it, but either way, their families sued the school, and it became a, um, you know, it was a news item that these girls had been forced to watch Faces of Death. Actually, they won a $100,000 judgment from the school district. Uh, very curiously, interviewing them many years later, they both, at the time, they said, you know, they were traumatized by it. But later on, they both claimed that it had uh, it had given them both a kind of morbid streak. Diane Feast became a paramedic, and uh, Sherry Forget considered being a coroner before she joined the military. Well, that's and, a that's a formative forty five minutes. Yeah, Mr. Schwartz really uh, really did a job on that. You could make a list of that. You could make a tally of the number of people whose lives have been saved by. <laughs> Mr. Schwartz's creepo class. But uh, but very famously, um, oh, and you know, there's another scene in Faces of Death where there's dogs fighting, and it seems like a bloody dog fight where they're killing each other. Mm-hmm. But what they really did was they got two very friendly dogs and covered them with jelly and then filmed them from various different angles where it seemed like they were attacking they're, one another. But they're really just trying to lick jelly off each other? Yeah, it was, I mean, it was, a com- it was completely faked but but presented in a way if you put the right film score behind it and you and and as a film goer you're going in thinking like this is about we're gonna see something die um you can easily mistake two friendly dogs for yeah it's the it's the fame i can't remember the name of the russian guy who proved that you know with the right music and the right context the same piece of footage can either make someone laugh or cry happy or sad right apprehensive or not it's all context Faces of Death on videotape became a massive thing, and um, and you know on the on the the box the videotape box it said banned in forty six countries, you know are basically daring you to watch it. Was this um, was this a was this all above board? Like were were people illegally distributing this, or was MPI or whatever the company's called still putting this in 
video stores that were not worried about optics. It was absolutely in video stores. There was a the, a distribution company was formed just to distribute it called Gorgon Video. Um, but it was kind of there were there were plenty of uh, there were plenty of video rental places that wouldn't stock it. I mean, before video places became big chains, I mean, a lot of these places were just mom and dad. Yeah, and maybe run by a guy who's making most of his living, you know, getting getting. VHS on porn, right? Porn on VHS to lonely guys, right? The only countries it was banned in, uh, the UK famously banned it, New Zealand, Australia. The UK has very strict laws. Like to this day, American movies, if they appear to show like a cat getting hurt, that scene will have to be cut. Yeah. These movies were called video nasties and it was a whole genre of film that was very scandalous there, but it was also uh, banned in Norway and Finland, you know, but not 46 countries any, anywhere close. But but it did cause a it did cause a the the desire during the eighties and during the Reagan administration to ban media was pretty strong and they were banning rap music they were banning basically anything funded by the National Endowment for the Arts but uh, but there was a lot of talk about banning them for all the reasons we've discussed that it violent video games et cetera et cetera the idea that these movies would, stuff. would create and there were. Uh, there were a couple of instances where where kids committed murders and then blamed faces of death, but the, at the same time there were kids blaming Judas. Yeah, Priest. I mean that's the thing. There's yeah, it's it's hard to say in hindsight. It's hard to can do double blind studies, right? Where you put two groups of kids in a room, you show one of them Mister Rogers, one of them faces of death, and then you see who eats more monkey brains <laughs> over the next twenty years. Really interestingly, um, in the mid eighties. Uh, the Associated Press was doing a story on Faces of Death, and they interviewed a video store clerk, asking him, you know, what, how popular it was, and he was like, "It's constantly rented. It's uh, it's one of the most popular videos we have." And that video store clerk was a young, unknown Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> have you heard this story? No, I haven't. But he's obviously America's most famous ex-video store clerk. Yeah. So so he was on record with the AP. But uh, but interestingly, the the imagery of it filtered down into popular culture in a, a Faces of Death ended up being a whole series. There were four yeah, of them. I was about to say uh, four of them, all sort of following the similar vein. And Do they then, all have faked footage mixed yeah, in with a, a few? And you know, if you if you go on 4chan right now, you can find six hundred videos of people getting beheaded. These days, it would be impossible to make a. Uh, faces of death movie just because they're because you have the, the internet is now a big faces of death movie right um but but throughout the throughout the the years the vcr years faces of death became or uh, continued to be a very popular title enough that they made four official ones and then there were all kinds of bootlegs anybody that could put together a bunch of death footage would call it faces of death 14 and you know there was an underground economy for this there were also Within alternative culture, there was all kinds of in- interest in vivisection videos and serial killer stuff. I mean, it all uh, – it's hard to say how much Faces of Death inspired what became a, like a subcultural fascination with dismemberment and and um, and accidental death. Yeah, Just- Violence of all kinds, but uh, but I think maybe its most famous legacy is that that wonderful scene in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom that features monkey brain eating. Yeah, uh, which you know is that inspired? By I think one hundred percent inspired by Faces of Death. I mean, yeah, if, if the grossest thing you can think of is monkey brains, that's probably because you've heard. Faces of Death kids talking about monkey brains. Spielberg probably went down to the video store and a young Quentin Tarantino <laughs> said, you got to see this, man. Uh, you got to see this. And that concludes Faces of Death. Entry 447.JB1616. Certificate 41907. In the omnibus. Now, uh, among the other awful things that the internet contains, besides images of construction crane operators falling to their deaths or whatever is uh, an even worse phenomenon. Social media. People just talking at each other all day and saying nothing. The worst kind of death. Yeah, death by a thousand tweets. Uh, But uh, John and I were products of our time. Our 
social media posts uh, were archived in the early 21st century at Omnibus Project on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you name it. I was at Ken Jennings on Twitter. John was at John Roderick on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Facebook was the home of, uh, you know, one lively monkey brain free community, Hmm. which was mostly full of good feelings and fun. Everything else on Facebook is tainted by monkey brain. Yeah, it should be investigated by the FBI. Uh, But not the Futurelings group. Uh, The ones on Reddit and Facebook are good, in fact. Uh, You could support the show, and I uh, I encourage you to consider this. If you often listen to the outro of this show thinking, boy, I'm so glad those people are are generously contributing to to keep the Omnibus Project going, uh, you know, at at a very low cost to you, you can feel like you're part of the process. Join the part of the cause. Join the futurelings who are going to make it through the portal of the apocalypse. Ken and I will stand on either side of the gate and is check. That what to, we're, is that what we're promising? Check now? to see if you see if you're wearing your enamel pin. At the fifty dollar <laughs> tier, you will actually survive the apocalypse. All the lower tiers, I'm sorry, they will burn. Mm. Uh, you can uh, donate to the Patreon at Patreon.com/slash/OmnibusProject. You can send us uh, physical media. Um, Here's a uh, underwhelming postcard of Plymouth Rock. Oh, well, you would describe that as underwhelming. Well, here you you can't tell the the, no, you can't the, see it in the its unimpressive uh, scale, but uh, it really it really uh, that picture makes it seem like the date 1620 is right in the middle of the rock, whereas I always think of it as being sort of off kilter on the rock. It looks kind of right justified it to does. me. Yeah, maybe unlike Moose. This person writes, Plymouth Rock was smaller than I remembered. Thank you, Leona. Somebody else made a donation and I'm to the Humans Fund, which appears to be a fake nonprofit of some kind. Apparently, I donated $149 and you donated $130. Wait a minute. I'm a little more generous than you. Why would I, why would I, why would my donation get shortchanged? Well, probably you're a little less gullible than me about this fake charity. (laughs) Let me see. What makes you think that this is a fake charity? These are, these are, uh, I think, to to the Humans Fund. I think it's the name of a, it's very close to the name of a fake charity from a Seinfeld episode. And, uh, Mark, you're, you're always asking people to send you things when their relatives die for, for uh-huh. some reason. Yes, it's, it's, I am. it's your own little faces of death, <laughs> except yours is called like backpacks of death, sunglasses of death. Uh, in going through his father's things, Mark just sent you a, uh, Marine band Honer harmonica. That has not been played in in 45 years. He found three harmonicas in his father's things and effects, and he sent you fully a third of his late father's harmonicas. And I I was on the record as as not enjoying the harmonica, although it's not strictly true. I you know, I'm, I'm, I like a Neil Young harmonica or Stevie Wonder, especially chromatic major key harmonica solo. I oh, love it. Uh, how um, how much does that harmonica seem like it's been played? It says he has not played it since he was 45 years old, uh, 45 years ago by a six-year-old me. Hmm. Uh, sanitize accordingly or not. He implies that you might be into that. Sure. 45-year-old spittle. So, I've, I'm here at thehumansfund.org, and it appears to only be a site where you pay them to give you a card that says you paid. I hope you don't. this person did not actually pay $280 to send out these phony cards. Well, no, they do cost money, these things. But is it one-to-one, is it? No, it says, um, enter the name of a person. Wait a minute, these are not even, these are like fake versions of the fake thing. (laughs) This is like Faces of Death. (laughs) That plane didn't actually crash. Hang on here. So if you would like to send us your uh, late parents' effects... We implore you to do so. Yes, absolutely. It's the main reason we started this uh, time capsule. Send them to Omnibus Project, P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Futurelings, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long this civilization survived. We may, Ken and I, may be killed in the very near future by people who are mad that we would even imply that video games created a culture of violence. I certainly, every time I leave the house, 
look cautiously out through the curtains to make sure that someone out there who is convinced that media does not create violence isn't waiting to do violence upon me uh, to defend the media. Gotcha. Right? You see what I'm see where I'm going with that? Yes. There's a circular. Yes, they're so sure that the media doesn't cause violence that they have a very violent reaction to it. It'd be ironic. It would be. It would be a very ironic death for me. And improbable. <laughs> uh, we hope and pray that I do not die this way. Ken doesn't. Ken thinks that Captain America: Winter Soldier is a great movie, so don't kill him. <laughs> uh, but if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may have been our final word. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the omnibus.